up. We know that with Generation Z, um, that, you know, sustainability, trust, um, you know, social governance, corporate governance, things like that are really important to that generation, um, more so than any other generation before. I'm Landell Archer, the sales director at PlaceOS. You'll hear me get very excited in this podcast as it was an opportunity to sit in an actual room with an actual person to have this discussion. And Louise Mungart is really interesting. From starting out with an electrician apprenticeship in the Pilbara, Louise is now the program director of technology and innovation in real estate at AMP Capital. We've been working with AMP Capital for about a year now. We're into the third phase of a really interesting project where PlaceOS is being used to power a solution that offers AMP Capital tenants the ability to access and pay for different services that are available in the buildings. The, um, it, it's really a classic project demonstrating the power of having a technological spine and using integrations. Um, and it's really all about customized UX to a, a, achieve a desired outcome that gives AMP Capital a competitive advantage. Late last year, Louise moderated a tech panel that I was on and the questions were really interesting. So I wanted to scatter them here and get Lou's answers and also give our listeners insights into the most recent research. I hope you enjoy this one. Louise, we see AMP Capital as a bit of a thought leader in this space around workplace and, and trends with flexible spaces. And I know that that has a lot to do with the research that, that you guys partake in and that you put out there. Can you give us an overview of those recent findings about global trends outside the workplace and how workplace is kind of a microcosm of all of those changes? Yes, uh, definitely. So this is uh, really interesting. We did some research um, just over a year ago, actually, and we were really interested to look at what are the drivers behind technology change in buildings as we were setting to go about a smart building strategy. And when you think about it, buildings are designed to last for up to 100 years. So they're you know, concrete and steel, they're there for a long time, but the demographics of the people that use those buildings change over much shorter time periods. For the first time, we've got four generations together in the workplace now, and each generation has a very different attitude to work and the work environment. So they've all grown up differently with technology. When you look at baby boomers, um, life is work. They would work for a long time in a single organisation. When they entered the workplace, you know, typically they would send and receive information by mail, fax in a one-way direction, um, but you know, very simple and low bar expectation of technology. If you look at the other end of the spectrum, so you've got Generation X, Y, and Z, Gen Z are currently aged 10 to 24 years. Um, they favor collaboration, open workspaces, fully mobilized, technology native, um, expect to be connected and have access to information from whenever, uh, wherever they are. So if you think about those, the expectations of those two groups and then the ones in the middle, how might we create workplaces that attract talent from that Generation Z group when we see the median of the workforce dramatically shift towards that group over the next five and 10 years? So really, you know, we were thinking, how can we get our buildings positioned that, so our customers can really attract talent from those groups um, as we see boomers retire? Um, I think with COVID, though, there's been mass technology adoption across yeah. the workplace. And if, if organisations didn't have a really clear tech strategy, then they've had to put one in place really quickly. Um, and there's lots of jokes around that being one of the biggest drivers of technology and innovation <laughs> yeah. in workplaces, um, you know, over the there's past good decade. Memes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's been quite funny. Certainly, it's probably accelerated, I think, what we were already anticipating seeing happening over the next five years. I think in some instances, we've seen organisations having to adopt this in the matter of months. Definitely. And oh, COVID. So things like, I, th I think even across the generations we're going to be seeing, when, when people start to return to work and, and in Australia, those um, rules are happening now. So some people are able to return to work mm -hmm. and just maintain their social distancing laws. I think we're going to see how they've worked from home and how they've kind of developed a new 
logical way to work you know like for me I changed my work hours so that I could actually so I could do the homeschooling mm-hmm. during the day and then do um, more international meetings at night because yeah. we're having to cover a couple of different time zones and you know it's made me exhausted but at the same time that's really worked for our family because yeah. it's it's enabled I get my time with my kids my time for my work my husband and I kind of share the load yeah and so we've gotten used to this new way of working and if I went back to a workplace that kind of just put that on its Mm -hmm. head yeah it's probably not somewhere I'd want to work yeah so there's been it's like a convergence or a convergence of two key things that needed to happen for this to be adopted en masse and that's for the technology to be in place which organizations have had to deploy really quickly or uplift really quickly and second is for um, leadership support for flexible work so where some leaders might not have necessarily, you know, supported that in practice, you know, compared to what the policy says, all of a sudden now they've been, you know, kind of had to experience this environment and develop trust and new ways of working and have um, video conference meetings and stand up. So again, it's those two things I think will completely change the way that we go back to work um, in the future. How many people do you manage? I've got, uh, interesting actually, at the moment, so my, my role now as um, the Program Director for Technology and Innovation, I've got six in my team mm-hmm. and we work very collabor- collaboratively with AMP Capital Technology and different people in the business. Um, my prior team, I had about 100 in property management. So I've gone from managing really large-scale national teams to leading a team of um, innovation managers, which is like really really different and I've actually it's it's really enjoyable I think the when you're managing large teams you're really often driven by the rhythm of the business that's dictating what you need to do performance reviews you know REM reviews planning cycles strategies business whereas when you're managing smaller teams I think you're driven by different things and you're able to set and drive your own agenda and uh, be much more agile in what you're doing as well um, and kind of trying to steer a massive uh, you know team and group of people um, yep. and align them to common purpose and goals which is what my focus was as head of property management to really now you know supporting my team strategically and tactically on how we get things done and helping them make connections in the business so that we can develop products that enable our business to be more efficient. It's, a, it's kind of a little bit more human because inevitably if you've got a smaller team that you're talking with and meeting with, you probably have those like extra, I don't know, you know more about them instead of knowing 100 people. Yes. And I mean, it's funny because, again, as a result of COVID, I think we all know each other a little bit better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how good is this? So I'm at your house. Yes. We're doing a podcast. <laughs> in person this is like amazing yeah we wouldn't have had that opportunity yeah, before exactly so and i'm meeting people's pets and their kids and yep. i'm seeing their lounge rooms and they're showing us their view or i think there's this authenticity about the connections you're having although that they're not in person you're seeing a side of people that they may not normally bring to work and i think as a result you know that deepens connection the connection that people have together and drives a lot more you know things like trust and um and that type that side of the relationship yes trust Mm. and okay that talks to the generations as well i guess because when you've got like like my boss is is a millennial and he's just always sort of had that kind of trust instilled so um he's actually doing some video content at the moment more about his business side of the things and uh, side of things and i think that's like one of his strengths just automatic if he's bringing you into his business he's usually headhunted you and so therefore trust is like a big deal do you think that that's a generational thing that like as we see i mean in the panel last year we were even talking about generation alpha yes. and do you think by the time that they get into the workforce there's going to be this like why don't you trust me? Like I'm, I'm an adult and I've got this technology. Yeah. Can, I, I can absolutely go and do it. Just give me the tools and I'll get the job done. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. We know that with Generation Z that sustainability, trust, social governance, corporate governance, things like that are really important to that generation, um, more so than any other generation before. 
And we think that, you know, that will continue when we look at Generation Alpha. Um, you know, I've got a three and a half year old little girl, her name's Xanthi. So Alpha are all under 10s. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're probably, you know, a decade or just over a decade from being in, um, in the workplace. But, you know, as a three year old, she can use a tablet, a computer, her toys interact with her. Um, you know, half of them uh, can be programmed in some way. She's got a Lego train set that we can control off a mobile phone. So there's this whole concept of the internet of toys and Mm -hmm. that already from a young age, um, this generation are used to being able to command, program and have things respond to them. Um, So, you know, they probably won't drive cars as an example. When you see them grow up, what will their expectations be in the workplace, given that for them, you know, my daughter, it's completely normal that we have Siri and we can, you know, make requests for what music we want to play in the car or set the timer. And I actually hear her sometimes try to command Siri, you know. (laughs) I know that one. um, (laughs) To put a song on or whatever. So for her, that's completely natural. Like there isn't any thought given at all as to how that works or what it might be. Who who knows what that expectation will be? But we know it, it will be an expectation about it being frictionless, seamless experiences, on demand, very convenient, very personalised. So a lot of obviously what they do is very personal interactions. Um, and I think they're themes that will translate into workplace technology as well, experiences. And, and we're seeing sort of the start of that. So like my daughter is five and she will grab the Apple TV remote and she'll press the speech button and she'll say Bluey to search for Bluey, the cartoon, to put on for herself and for her little brother. But you can see her like kind of getting frustrated when it doesn't work on the first go or how she has to slow her speech down because it's not really quite like natural speech yet. You have to really enunciate. And so you can see the the friction that that kind of, we're at the start of that technology. By the time she gets into the workplace, Mm -hmm. she's she might not even have to say a word. I mean, we yeah. can do a lot of that automation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're at the start now, and by the time they get to the workplace, their expectation is that yeah. it will just work, it will work seamlessly, there is no issue here. Totally. And what will, I mean, what will the workplace look like? Um, you know, even now, I think workplaces, there's a lot of talk around how will workplaces change as a result of COVID mm-hmm. and what is the meaning of a place of work or the premise of work. So even just not even in this current environment, we're really conscious not to use the term return to work because everybody's working already, but thinking about return to premises and what the you know the workplace means and you know I think it comes back to that place for connection and human collaboration and um, you know people really missing that opportunity to bump into others. Um, that you wouldn't see and I think that's the thing I'm missing the most at the moment although I've got great um, you know having good meetings we're collaborating well via various VC tools um, and work's getting done but there's you know a whole range of people I would stop and have hallway conversations to with um, a couple of times a week but we don't really work together or work on projects together so those meetings haven't happened like I don't see them in meetings so you know, I go a few months now without seeing people I might have chatted to, you know, a few times a week. Oh, I chat. insights. I'll yeah. go out to lunch with our developers mm. when I'm in the office just because, mm. like, we're in a small, um, we're, we're in quite a large space, but um, we're in a small team in Sydney and we've got people everywhere. But if on the odd chance that you happen to be in the office at the same time as someone that you haven't seen for a while, well, like, let's go and get a poke bowl. And yeah. I, our developers have got some of the best, like, sort of brains for this stuff. Yeah. Like, they're the ones coming up with ideas and they're also making the products. And to sit at lunch with them and just mm-hmm. kind of chat with them about some of those ideas, I, I often come away and take those into my next yeah. meetings. Totally. And um, I'm missing that. And, yeah. and especially because they're just sort of different... I guess different people that you know I'm I'm always talking with business mm. like people um sometimes technology people but more often like people and culture people or um innovation not really like into the mm. details of the tech so when I get a chance to talk to the, yeah. to the developers and I get into those details um 
Yeah, I really miss that. Yeah. It's good. And I've had a lot of conversations like this over the past few weeks as more people are, you know, particularly in real estate, talking about what is the future of real estate. The more conversations I have, the more these themes are coming up and just how important that, you know, the the office is as a place of connection. So, um, you know, how can we make our work, workspaces support that connection even more? And how would they change maybe just from having loads of desks to having spaces that are there for you know collaboration and things because i think with activity-based working the intent was good at the start but really the reality for a lot of organizations it just ended up being hot desking yeah now it's kind of coming back to what is maybe what, what that intent for. was about activity-based working and having you know really good collaboration spaces and breakout spaces and things like that but you you guys have always been well in my eyes you've been ahead of the curve in a little way so you've had flexible spaces for a while Mm -hmm. you've played around with like different technology to book those spaces make them available I mean with us we did a whole bunch of UX discovery work on who we thought the customer was versus who we found out to be Mm -hmm. the customers as in you know we've got another we've got end users in the tenants and then we've got this whole other business services division that just take care of a lot of these flexible space bookings so you guys have been on this journey for a long time i hate the word journey but everybody (laughs) does um and then i guess you see this acceleration because of covid so what have you had to pivot at all or is it just executing the strategy that you had faster with our like broader technology strategy, we certainly took a moment um, back in March when this unfolded to think about how we best focus our time this year. Um, and generally what we're doing is um, focusing, we obviously manage uh, office you know, and retail and logistics, um, trying to focus our time on things that will drive efficiency for our teams. We've paused a few things, particularly in the retail space, that are really um, shopper focused. So, yep. <laughs> the, yeah, there's, you know, we're obviously not too many shoppers um, at the moment, but really refining that strategy so we can have a great, um, you know, springboard for retail when when retail does, you know, kick off again. Um, but you can't really launch a lot of, um, you know, customer facing apps at this point. Um, so yeah, we have we have made some tweaks. I think um, for us, you know, the fundamentals remain the same. Focusing on um, tools like our room booking platform and you know getting that established, which will be lasting and something that we can offer to our customers and how they book um, not just workspaces but you know any type of service um, in any one of our assets. So that's been continued to be a focus. Um, the other thing is all the strategies around our data. So, you know, integration mm-hmm. of systems, access to data in retail, really focusing on, um, you know, the data that we can gather by Wi-Fi and people counting and how we might use that to make, you know, really smart decisions um, around our tenancy mix and how retail's changing, but then also use that data to drive um, you know, efficiency in the buildings with um, by connecting through you know air conditioning systems and things. Yeah. So you know, I think it's just being really smart with the capital in this that we have in this environment and mm-hmm. making sure that every dollar we spend is really um, driving either efficiency for our people, our buildings, or a really clear outcome for our customers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It, maybe like six months ago. You know, for the for the eighteen months before that, a lot of the conversations that we were having were, were around user experience, mm-hmm. and then in the last kind of um, four or five months, it's really switched to analytics, and that came because I guess a lot of workplaces the bushfires hit from like November, and and in Sydney that was a big deal, and air quality was a major thing that people talked about. So how do we then bring integration of the HVAC systems into the integration platform so that we can do some orchestration. Mm-hmm. So if air quality is bad, then we need to yeah. not just have a dashboard that tells yeah. us that, but to take some actions based yeah. on that. So if we count people in a specific space, if we pick up a you know see high CO2 levels, we can then automate that and you know activate the HVAC system in some way. Um, so analytics has been with COVID 
now we're talking about contact tracing and what data yeah. you can get out of the Wi-Fi and the sensors and the camera sensors or the WebEx mm-hmm. boards. So there's all these bits of technology that's yeah. in a building and if you can integrate them into, you know, PlaceOS platform, then you're getting all of the analytics from that. Yeah. And yeah, so it's really, it's you're still driving the user yeah. experience, but it, now the kind of conversation is talking about lots Even more like you, it's like if you slightly change the phrase user experience to touchless experiences. Oh, yeah. Is what's yep. like we're talking about now. So how can you create a touchless experience for people right in this environment and where we will have a heightened and prolonged sensitivity around um you know catching virus um and that that will probably remain for a long time you know post covid being um a real issue uh so touchless experiences how can you get in and out of a shopping center without touching anything except the product that you pick up off the shelf Mm-hmm. Um, and your phone, which is contactless payment, uh, in an office building, how can you get in through the doors, the turnstiles, up in the list, to your desk, to your locker, without having to touch, you know, surfaces that everyone would be touching. So mm-hmm. um, in meeting rooms, controls around lighting, air conditioning, how can you make all those, you know, respond? Uh, again, I think this is accelerating a lot of things that people were thinking about, but it's just giving it a different uh, spin, you know, before yeah. we were talking about people want frictionless or seamless experiences. Now yeah. it's like now they want, Yes, now they want touchless. You don't have to touch anything. You can come yeah. all the way to your desk and, you know, gone will be the hot desk. You'll have your own desk for a day or a week um, mm-hmm. marked with your name on it or somehow booked, I think, so that yep. we know as organisations where people have been sitting, um, who they sat next to, for how long, you know, all of that sort of information. So, We've already rolled those features out in yeah. the last two weeks yeah. because people had um, sort of desk finding. So where, where desks were occupied, you could see where they were occupied. Mm-hmm. If, they were, if they were free, you could just rock up to them. And you could see that as kind of the capacity on each floor. So you, yeah. you sort of knew by zone which one was the most available. Yeah. Now we just, that's a, that's just mm. the next step is booking, yeah. which people didn't want to and, do and last year. And organisations where pre-COVID you just turned up and found a desk in your neighbourhood, now I think organisations will want people to know, one, they need to know how many people are coming in because we'll be working at reduced capacity for quite a long time. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the surveys I think that are coming back from office occupiers across the industry are saying 20 to 50 percent you know for quite some time so it'll be a long time before we have full capacity so how do you allocate those how do you know that only 20 percent coming in yeah um and how do you allocate them to desks and how do you ensure that that physical distancing is in place so um again it's use cases for existing technology now but I think it you know, has definitely made it easier to kind of um, put a business case up around this stuff in this environment. Yeah, just something to glue it together yeah. and put the logic in there. Yeah, I'll put my hand up for that. Um, <laughs> the um, okay, so contactless. But how important do you think it, it will be to, especially now, retain human touch points? Because we've talked about this yeah. before, and in our project, it was always like. No, we still we want our concierge staff to be really useful for our mm-hmm. tenants. Like they're going to be the people who say, "Oh, hey, Landell, I know that you love Italian food, mm-hmm. and there's this place down the street that just opened up. I tried them, and I was able to get like a twenty percent discount for anyone I want to give it to." Yeah. You know, like that real kind of premium service, not just like head in emails to answer yeah. bookings and things like that, but. You really have yeah. the, a vision around what the human touch points are. So yeah. how important will those be? Oh, totally. I think when you got here today, I was like, oh, a person, this is so exciting. <laughs> um, and, you know, you commented, oh, you must be an extra extrovert. And I hadn't actually really given that much thought between, you know, getting people just even getting energy from yeah. that human uh, contact, let alone, you know, all the other things. So, look, I think that, the engagement you get from face to face is completely different from, and the connection from um, than what you get over, you know, VC or email exchange. And um, in office and logistics, we've had for the past few years a customer service training program, 
Um, it's actually called Connection Collective and we partnered with Accor Hotels to design that. Um, mm-hmm. Hotels obviously leading the way in customer service. Um, but the philosophy behind that is that people and their connection is at the centre of everything that we do and that when people are seen by someone else and recognised as an individual, so your point about that person knew the thing I liked and re- referred me or recommended me or they remembered my name or they know my coffee order, that drives you know preference and that preferred partnership and that loyalty to you know a brand or a product or a, or a building or a place. Yeah. Um, so you know we decided that if that's the way we do our business across the whole platform, then together as a team, it's how we engage with our suppliers, our partners, um, and you know it also integrates more I think with your work and your personal life because it gives people. Um, makes people think about skills they can have to create that connection in any part of their life. Um, maybe not just the person that they're working with. So um, really interesting project. Um, you know, we did win some awards at the Customer Service Institute uh, and it was science-based, although it's, you know, people are a bit like, oh, customer service training. It's actually very much driven by the science behind, you know, what drives human, human connection and why yeah. that's important. So. Yeah, we're 100% behind that, big believers that those human touch points are required, um, but not in a physical sense. <laughs> yeah, there's no handshaking. <laughs> no handshaking. Not even elbow bumping. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just I think that, you know, you can have technology that recognises faces and lets you mm-hmm. into a building, and that's seamless and contactless, yeah. and that's, that's a good use of mm-hmm. technology. You know, there's no replacing that kind of when somebody knows you and knows your preferences and that, that feel of, where I, I went to a cafe this morning to get a coffee and even like I haven't been there regularly this whole time, but rocking up today and getting the Highlander, oh, how have you been? Yeah. And like soy latte with a half sugar mm-hmm. and just that whole mm-hmm. kind of experience and then they give you a little um quote with that you take oh, with awesome. your coffee yeah. and the coffee's great but it's more just about the attitude yeah. and the feel of the Definitely. place and the vibe that you get when you go there and that will drive and this is the thing right that will drive you know we we say we like to build preferred partners but it's loyalty right so someone bringing you a deal or wanting to you know buy coffee at a certain place or go to that restaurant um and i think it comes back to that uh well it's actually you know scientifically in the brain it's like being recognized as as an individual is important to everybody so yeah Mm. so we're talking a little bit about like all of those i think ideas that you've got in the pipeline and then in my mind a couple of years away is that whole big circular key Mm. transformation and of which QQT or key quarter building is um, yeah. a, is going to be a flagship for AMP Capital. So, where what's the thinking on that at the moment? Given yeah. everything, <laughs> I I really miss the building actually because we were basically you know watching that construction outside our windows on a daily basis. So, I need to um I went to a, on a bike ride into the city. Must have been. Uh, April sometime and it was dead like there's nobody around it was my daily exercise but uh, it was really interesting to cycle around the building and see how much progress has made on the, the been made on the facade mm. um, and that continues so look I think with the innovation in that development with respect to technology applications um, I think the real innovation comes from the integration, not in the applications themselves. So (laughs) thinking about how you marry different applications together to create workflows that create these experiences that we've been talking about. Um, What we've worked really hard to do and maybe what is um, special about our approach is that we've really narrowed down some clear use cases where we should focus on driving this, you know, integration and these experiences. And that's around deliveries, obviously being a huge thing for both the occupiers, but also individuals now in CBDs. Um, Access is is massive. So how you can um, get people in and out of the building, both visitors and, you know, the building occupants, contractors. Um, and all the things we've already talked about that go with that. 
um, concierge facilities and, you know, with that comes booking um, and how, how we can open up uh, available spaces in that precinct to all of the precinct users. So that might be within the flexible space. Um, it could be in, in lobby areas. It could be, you know, within their own um, tenancy but how we can show to people what is available for something that, that, that they might want to do. Even leisure activities, like your Milton Green yeah. precincts with the tennis courts and the outdoor spaces, yeah. like all of that is really... Um, and, and, you know, yeah, all of the classes that you offer and, you know, yep. gyms and things like that. Wellness, I think, was already a big trend and it's now obviously going to take off um, in another way. Um, thinking about how we can offer insights to both our teams that manage the building and what they can see about how the building is working, but also to our, our tenants and the occupiers mm -hmm. and what they can see um, and using those insights to drive, you know, efficiency and sustainability of the asset primarily. Um, and navigation is a really big one. Mm -hmm. And with a big precinct with, um, you know, entrances at different, different levels and lots of services, how we can get people um, in and out of that building in a way that feels completely natural to them, that you're not, you know, continually trying to get, your, bear, get yeah. your bearings and work yeah. out. So it's really about, you know, what's the innovation in any of that? Um, definitely integrating use cases around that, but it's also bringing, to me, it's bringing the right people in to help define the solutions in those space yep. to get the outcomes. And those people aren't you know, development managers or consultants, it's actually people that use things. So in the terms of a concierge, it's like, what does a concierge view look like for a room booking tool? And what would they want to see? And then that, you know, can completely change what you think you might need to offer in terms of tech, yeah. just from having that person there. So, you know, highly collaborative approach, um, working really closely with, um, with AMP and Deloitte obviously on that as well through you know various steering codes that are set up uh, so we can get outcomes that really meet the needs of all the users. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I talked to AMP and Deloitte um, about their Sydney plans, then we have conversations with you. And yeah, so AMP and Deloitte are surprisingly quite aligned because they have very similar kind of things that they mm -hmm. want out of the workplace. The attraction for talent is, major the you know i think deloitte used the term like magnet for talent yeah and so um they have a pretty good understanding of the things that they want but in both businesses in in the past they've made some decisions about technology that's ended up in silos so the fact that i think amp capital has really learnt about integration and mm -hmm. trying to pull it together i think you'll even be able to bring some ideas mm -hmm. back to them um yeah, I think I think that I'm I'm excited for that precinct because I know there's a couple of buildings going up around near it as well, and so that puts a lot of retail and kind of you know that the new public transport in that in that area yeah. of Sydney. So it's going to be a really interesting kind of hub mm -hmm. and you know being competitive to see what comes out of that. Yeah, yeah really, really cool. Long overdue for a facelift. <laughs> I think that's a delivery. Delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing the coronavirus shop like me? Um, I've done a bit, but, you know, <laughs> I was talking about this with um, our digital um, customer and digital lead for retail yesterday. And because for retail, we're examining all this stuff around um, click and collect, right? And yep. should you do it or not? And, you know, would you stand something like that up? Um, and... Um, a lot of stores offer that, but then should you offer that more broadly as a shopping centre, you know, operator that people could potentially click and collect from multiple stores and pick that up at the centre. Um, but the biggest challenge I think that you've got is the inventory of the stores is so out of date. Yeah. So I did like a David Jones order the other day and it's literally come in four parcels. <laughs> Right. from different stores because they said they had the stock but the reality is they didn't hold that stock in one place so and I've been caught out with Kmart a few times on click and collect where they've taken my money and then actually haven't had the stock right and they've had to refund that after time yeah. um on key items like Lego and stuff yes. at this time that's really Necessary. popular 
So, you know, um, it's really hard because yes, okay, the technology exists to create that sort of platform, but what would the customer experience actually be, you know, and who then bears the face of that disappointment when their order can't be fulfilled or whatever. So that's an interesting problem. Yeah. Yeah, from, yeah. from a shopper who is uh, 5'11", 181 <laughs> centimetres, who can't buy clothes online very well, like in a sustainable way anyway, because I want to be able to buy things in you know the most sustainable way I can. So I'll buy from sustainable websites, but then they still get delivered with packaging. And then if it doesn't fit, I still have to send it back. Yeah. So there's like all of that freight yeah. and handling. Oh, my God it would be so nice to go to shops and have the click and collect as part of like choose from a whole bunch of shops that you could put an outfit together and try on in a centralized <laughs> change room All right. yeah, before you buy it. Yeah. And then you've got like, so then you can actually yeah. try it on. You can try bits and pieces on. So you can try yeah. those shoes on with yeah. the dress. Yeah. Oh, that but, would be you know, really I mean, cool. it's an interesting, like thinking about these things in retail and, um, you know, ultimately, as a operator of shopping centres, we want to drive the shopper experience, and mm. um, you know, we want people to shop in store and and have a great experience, and maybe their kids experience something fantastic while they're at the mall as well. So, click and collect, you know, doesn't really support that. What it does support is, um, you know, a touchless experience in the time of COVID. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on a long-term basis, you know, I think that, um, I think, you know, personally as well, I never spent so much time in a shopping mall until I had a child. That, yeah. It's a know. good place to yeah. go. There's playgrounds near coffee. Yeah. And um, sometimes there's even those little spots where you can actually, they've, they've got babysitters. Mm-hmm. And so you can pop into David Jones. Yeah. your kids leaving like sitting there coloring it's nice um can we talk a little bit more about you and your career as well because I know that you you know right now you're the program director for innovation and technology and that's that's a quite a big job um but how'd you get there yeah not by design uh, at all the best careers are always accidents yeah but it's become a nice um, kind of full circle actually which has been nice to reflect on in the last 12 months so um, I my family moved to Newman in the Pilbara when I was 15 in high school um, so I went from wanting to be a lawyer uh, which I'd wanted to be since I was six I don't even know how a six-year-old but I always knew from like year one if anybody asked I wanted to be a lawyer Um, And then I moved to a mining town and um, got a boyfriend and then everybody wants to get a job at BHP. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to apply for an apprenticeship. Um, So I got an apprenticeship as an electrician with BHP and did that, which was really challenging. Um, More challenging than I would ever allow myself to admit at the time, but certainly on reflection, I'm, you know, I look back and just think some of the things I had to endure. Um, And then from there, I went to London and worked as a sparky in office buildings. Mm -hmm. That's when I learned about real estate as a sector and facilities management. And I said to myself, I can be a facilities manager because they're just telling the contractors what to do and I could do that. So when I moved to Sydney uh, a few years later, I got a job as a facility coordinator um, and my next job after that was actually on the AMP Capital um, account. So I started as an FM and just worked my way through facilities and property management roles. And um, 18 months ago, I took up leading asset technology. I was head of property management, but, but took up leading that as a strategy within real estate. Um, and it was really, really nice like coming back to like, reviving that technical knowledge that was still there deep in my brain mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. how things work and like working back on more tangible projects and you know I talked a bit before about leading big teams and I've been doing that for a while and a lot of you know leadership and strategy and um, organizational design stuff so yeah I just was really enjoying working on solving these big problems for our people and our customers um, 
so yeah, last year it was it kind of just came out of my success in leading that little part of tech in terms of um, leading technology more broadly for real estate. So yeah, I just said yes as I you know that I think saying yes to almost anything helps yes. uh, career wise. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, you, you can figure it out later. Come out of it, and yeah, here I am. So it's been um, a lot of fun. Yeah, and you, you don't just do this job, but you have another job, a side hustle, a <laughs> netball umpire extraordinaire and administrator. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I've been, I mean, I've always been involved in netball and have been a volunteer, um, you know, in the sport for a long time as well, um, including as an administrator on, uh, you know, association committees and my club committee. Um, look, it's a great equaliser sport and I love the community aspect. I love, um, you know, dealing with people at a level that's completely different to how you deal in the corporate environment. Um, and I really, really enjoy uh, coaching people and helping, you know, seeing people thrive and grow and change. And um, I think that's something, you know, in sport, that you you get back what you put in, yeah, so yeah, that's why I keep uh, giving up a lot of time <laughs> to contribute. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I came through netball as well, and um, SunCorp at the moment do a really good. They they sponsor netball, and they're doing a really good um, like connection to netball. They they did this like team girls campaign, mm. and I saw it at a women in sport conference, and how they interviewed all these sort of 15 year olds and it was just incredible and still being a netballer at heart I still have a lot of the friends that I played with and I can say that it's definitely a sport that breeds confidence in women and leadership and teamwork and um you know just you you have a responsibility when you're on that team everybody has a thing to do and it's the ultimate you you can't get the ball down the court it's not like without your team mates like it's not basketball you can't just be a hog you really have to use other people and you have to build relationships to be able to get there so every netballer i know i think i can't no one comes springs to mind who isn't successful in their broader life Mm. It's weird. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And, um, you know, the point about confidence and seeing uh, particularly young girls, like I coach not players but umpires. I umpire and play, but I do a lot of work with junior umpires. And seeing their confidence grow, like, season to season is just amazing. And, like, you know, kids that would probably otherwise leave the sport or not be confident at all, um, suddenly, you know, after four or five games, have a skill that is effectively earning them money. Mm. Such a good thing. It's such a great thing. I think such a great gift to give someone, um, particularly kids that, you know, need to be earning their own money at that age because they don't have a good, you know, pocket money or something from their parents and they, um, it gives them that independence uh, and that confidence. So it's awesome. Yeah, it's so good. Um, now let me talk about Google. Yes. So that was part of your, I guess, professional development trips, your research trips that you get to go on. What's Google doing that we should be interested in? How good are study tours? (laughs) You don't get to do those for a while. Um, we were supposed to go to the US in June for, um, for real, the real com conference. Actually, it was a South Beach, Miami. Um, so that's not happening. So yeah, Google. Well, I went there. So I went to San Francisco last year um, and to meet with a few providers and um, suppliers that we we're working with. But I also had a contact at Google um, that I had known for a while. So he connected me um, with a, a tour to see their, how they're managing um, smart buildings. So they occupy... Um, 185 buildings in the alone uh, San Francisco San Francisco Bay area alone. So they're just 185. Yeah, they're buildings. just massive, right? There's yeah. they've got so much scale. It's 1.2 million square meters um, across those 185 buildings. So it's bigger than like all of AMP Capital's office portfolio, basically. Yeah. Um, 
they own or head lease most of the buildings, so they've got a lot of control. And what they did was essentially um, create a an operation centre where they can view all of the BMS. They're triaging all of the technical calls um, and alarms for the portfolio. Um, they're able to fix issues on the spot. Um, really, their big driver in doing that is occupancy comfort. So Google is about workplace experience and providing you know, it's like the catering and the um, workplace activities and the you know great office fit out. So it's providing these amazing um, experience that keep people in the workplace, ironically enough. But um, so it was all about comfort and how they're making sure and getting ahead of that curve, um, predicting things uh, and fixing them before things would break. Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing that, they've, you know, eliminated that reliance on the traditional BMS contract and technician. So really inspirational. We um, have started on our own plans now for a national uh, operations control centre and starting to put the technology foundations in place that will enable us to, you know, have that single view and look into all of the assets. Um, Working really closely with a few partners, but in doing that, what we've um, the first things you know, one of the first things we did was a cybersecurity solution, obviously that enables us to secure the assets, but also um, you need to be able to remotely connect and deploy software. So yeah. we've established that, and you know for the first time we've installed analytics packages in buildings without having to send anybody to the building. Yeah, uh, which is awesome. Right? <laughs> so people people were weirded out by that when yeah. we first came in because they were like, "What? You don't need a technician on site?" And we're like, "Yeah, sitting in virtual machines." Yeah. So you know, it's a challenge for the industry because. Um, the rate at which buildings are upgraded, like building systems are upgraded, is set with a traditional capital expenditure plan mm-hmm. in an asset plan for a building. So it's like 10 or 15 year life cycles and you you know, fix that and we'll come back to it in 10 years time. But the reality is this technology is changing, you know, as we know, far, far quicker. So, yeah. um, you know, I think the whole industry around BMS and how they're serviced and proprietary systems is you know really getting disrupted and um, I think we're just seeing you know significant change right now Mm. um, and on the cusp of massive change and that will have a flow-on effect to how we manage our assets obviously yeah absolutely and then I guess like those so so study trips like the Google one or like Realcom you must and then you've got your own ideas because you know you're just talking to people or just experiencing things for yourself this is what I do I kind of like you know I, I observe my five-year-old trying to wrestle with a remote and think that could be better or I, I go into a building and I have to wait 20 minutes mm-hmm. to line up and give my license and I'm 10 minutes late for a meeting um, you know you, you experience things you come up with all of these ideas how do you then put those ideas into action because I guess a lot of our listeners will be very familiar with corporate processes around translating their ideas into action Mm -hmm. and some point um, by the time everybody gets a say and by the time the building's being built and there's um, so many things that happen along that way a lot of their ideas get watered down Mm -hmm. but but you're very good at getting those ideas in the first place and making sure that they get followed through so how how does that happen yeah so I think uh, the key thing about our approach is that we are business-led technology enabled so my team so i'm leading technology strategy for real estate um, with a really deep understanding of the commercial aspects of real estate and Mm -hmm. you know the operational aspects Um, we have our head of finance is leading our core systems and data strategy Um, Our digital marketing expert is leading our customer and digital systems for retail. Uh, And then we partner with Capital Technology, AMP Capital Technology, to deliver, and a lot of third parties like PlaceOS and and other providers, uh, to deliver those solutions. So, you know, these um, streams of work exist to ensure that that tech investment is aligned with and prioritised to the strategy of that relevant business area. So... Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think that's the, you know, as a starting point, that's kind of where you need to start is having this business-led approach. Um, and I think that enables us because those people have accountability for decision-making um, and resources and budget, that drives um, really streamlined decision-making as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the first thing. The other thing, um, it's a really interesting concept we've been working on for a while, but is this concept of um, purple people, as we call them. I don't know if you've heard that term. Like purple people eater. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah, I see so that regularly. This on idea <laughs> that you know, if you've got technical people, which might be your traditional IT, and then the business people, oh, you're talking blue about and red, the blue, red, the green, and the yellow. Yeah, and then but if, if you can get people a red. blend, right, and have this purple person that can bridge that gap between the technology and the business side. So mm. I'm a great example, and why you know, I've ended up in this role is because I can speak the language of both the tech and the business side. So we've been really deliberate about finding and putting those purple people in those lead roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, key for us. And then uh, empowering them to make decisions, giving them accountability, let them go. Um, but then it's also how do you identify more of those purple people and get them embedded in the business? And we're now working on a program a training a training program actually which came out of our uh, our data engineering lead for real estate came up with the idea but it's how we can pull people out of their business role mm-hmm. over three sprints train them in to self-serve out of you know data warehousing and reports and solve a problem that they would have normally that they might normally throw over the fence to IT and say hey can you create me a report for this but they get taught how to do that and they go back with this skill and this ability to, you know, use these tools that we're bringing into the business. Because how much technology fails because something's created, but the business doesn't use it because they're not trained or they don't understand it or they haven't been brought in. So I think the other thing we're doing really well is finding these people mm. and trying to embed them through the business so that they can self-serve on tech. That's the plan anyway. That's cool. I love yeah. that. I am. Um... Yeah, at least identify the right people that you can then train as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps up all of my sort of questions that I had for you. Thank you for having me at your house. Yeah. I love. It's been fun. Yes. (laughs) This is so nice. I, um, I have to go back to my little home office now, but I think I've got my, my energy up. So I'll be good for the afternoon. Yeah. Um, thanks for your time. Good luck with everything that happens next because you have a big job um and it's it's complicated so you're going to need lots of energy yourself um and yeah we'll talk soon thank you